Section 17 of Part 3 of Religious Affections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew James Gray. MJGray.id.au. Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. Section 17 of Part 3. 10. Another thing wherein those affections that are truly gracious and holy differ from those that are false is beautiful symmetry and proportion. Not that the symmetry of the virtues and gracious affections of the saints in this life is perfect, it oftentimes is in many ways defective through the imperfection of grace, for want of proper instructions, through errors in judgment, or some particular unhappiness of natural temper, or defects in education, and many other disadvantages that might be mentioned. But yet there is, in no wise, that monstrous disproportion in gracious affections, and the various parts of true religion in the saints, that is very commonly to be observed in the false religion, and counterfeit graces of hypocrites. In the truly holy affections of the saints is found that proportion, which is, the natural consequence of the universality of their sanctification. They have the whole image of Christ upon them. They have put off the old man, and have put on the new man, entire in all its parts and members. It hath pleased the Father that in Christ all fullness should dwell. There is in him every grace. He is full of grace and truth. And they that are Christ's do, of his fullness receive grace for grace. John chapter 1 verse 14 and 16 i.e. there is every grace in them which is in Christ grace for grace that is grace answerable to grace there is no grace in Christ but there is its image in believers to answer it the image is a true image and there is something of the same beautiful proportion in the image which is in the original there is feature for feature, and member for member. There is symmetry and beauty in God's workmanship. The natural body which God hath made consists of many members, and all are in a beautiful proportion. So it is in the new man, consisting of various graces and affections. The body of one that was born a perfect child may fail of exact proportion through this temper, and the weakness and wounds of some of its members. Yet the disproportion is in no measure like that of those that are born monsters. It is with hypocrites, as it was with Ephraim of old, at a time when God greatly complains of their hypocrisy. Hosea chapter 7 verse 8 Ephraim is a cake not turned, half roasted and half raw. There is commonly no manner of uniformity in their affections. There is in many of them great partiality with regard to the several kinds of religious affections, great affections in some things, and no manner of proportion in others. A holy hope and holy fear go together in the saints, as has been observed from Psalm 33 verse 18 and 147 verse 11. But in some of these is the most confident hope, while they are void of reverence, self-jealousy, and caution, to a great degree cast off fear. In the saints 
joy and holy fear go together, though the joy be never so great as it was with the disciples in that joyful morning of Christ's resurrection. Matthew chapter 28 verse 8 And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy. But many of these rejoice without trembling. Their joy is of that sort, that it is truly opposite to godly fear. But particularly one great difference between saints and hypocrites is this, that the joy and comfort of the former is attended with godly sorrow and mourning for sin. They have not only sorrow to prepare them for their first comfort, but after they are comforted and their joy established. As it is foretold of the Church of God that they should mourn and loathe themselves for their sins after they were returned from the captivity and were settled in the land of Canaan, the land of rest, and the land that flows with milk and honey, Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 42 and 43, And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country, for the which I lifted up mine hand, to give it to your fathers. And there shall ye remember your ways, and all your doings, wherein ye have been defiled, and ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight, for all your evils that ye have committed. As also in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 61, 62, and 63, a true saint is like a little child in this respect. He never had any godly sorrow before he was born again, but since has it often in exercise. As a little child before it is born, and while it remains in darkness never cries, but as soon as it sees the light, it begins to cry, and thenceforward is often crying. Although Christ hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, so that we are freed from the sorrow of punishment, and may now sweetly feed upon the comforts Christ hath purchased for us, yet that hinders not but that our feeding on these comforts should be attended with the sorrow of repentance. As of old, the children of Israel were commanded evermore to feed upon the paschal lamb with bitter herbs. True saints are spoken of in Scripture not only as those that have mourned for sin, but as those that do mourn, whose manner it is still to mourn. Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Not only is there often in hypocrites an essential deficiency as to the various kinds of religious affections, but also a strange partiality and disproportion in the same affections with regard to different objects. Thus, as to the affection of love, some make high pretenses and a great show of love to God and Christ, and, it may be, have been greatly affected with what they have heard or thought concerning them. But they have not a spirit of love and benevolence towards men, but are disposed to contention, envy, revenge, and evil speaking, and will, it may be, suffer an old grudge to rest in their bosoms towards a neighbour for seven years together, if not twice seven years living in real ill-will and bitterness of spirit towards him. And it may be, in their dealings with their neighbours, are not very strict and conscientious in observing the rule of doing to others as they would that they should do to them. And on the other hand, there are others that appear as if they had a great deal of benevolence to men, are very good-natured and generous in their way, but have no love to God. And, as to love to men, there are some that have flowing affections to some, but their love is far from being of so extensive and universal a nature 
as a truly Christian love is. They are full of dear affections to some, and full of bitterness towards others. They are knit to their own party, them that approve of them, love them, and admire them, but are fierce against those that oppose and dislike them. Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 46. Be like your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise upon the evil and on the good. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Some show a great affection to their neighbours, and pretend to be ravished with the company of the children of God abroad, and at the same time are uncomfortable and churlish towards their wives and other near relations at home, and are very negligent of relative duties. And as to the great love to sinners and opposers of religion, and the great concern for their souls, that there is an appearance of, in some, even to extreme distress and agony, singling out a particular person from among a multitude for its object, there being at the same time no general compassion to sinners that are in equally miserable circumstances, but what is in a monstrous disproportion. This seems not to be of the nature of gracious affection. Not that I suppose it to be at all strange, that pity to the perishing souls of sinners should be to a degree of agony, if other things are answerable, or that a truly gracious compassion to souls should be exercised much more to some persons than others that are equally miserable, especially on some particular occasions. There may many things happen to fix the mind and affect the heart with respect to a particular person at such a juncture, and without doubt some saints have been in great distress for the souls of particular persons, so as to be, as it were, in travail for them. But when persons appear, at particular times, in racking agonies for the soul of some single person, far beyond what has been usually heard or read of in eminent saints, but appear to be persons that have a spirit of meek and fervent love, charity and compassion to mankind in general, in a far less degree than they, I say, such agonies are greatly to be suspected, for reasons already given, viz. that the Spirit of God is wont to give graces and gracious affections in a beautiful symmetry and proportion. And as there is a monstrous disproportion in the love of some, in its exercises towards different persons, so there is in their seeming exercises of love towards the same persons. Some men show a love to others as to their outward man, they are liberal of their worldly substance and often give to the poor, but have no love to or concern for the souls of men. Others pretend a great love to men's souls that are not compassionate and charitable towards their bodies. The making a great show of love, pity and distress for souls costs them nothing, but in order to show mercy to men's bodies, they must part with money out of their pockets. But a true Christian love to our brethren extends both to their souls and bodies, and herein is like the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. He showed mercy to men's souls by labouring for them, in preaching the gospel to them, and showed mercy to their bodies in going about doing good, healing all manner of sickness and diseases among the people. We have a remarkable instance of Christ's having compassion at once both to men's souls and bodies, and showing compassion by feeding both, in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, etc. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion towards them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, 
and he began to teach them many things. Here was his compassion to their souls, and in the sequel we have an account of his compassion to their bodies, because they had been a long while having nothing to eat. He fed five thousand of them with five loaves and two fishes. And if the compassion of professing Christians towards others does not work in the same ways, it is a sign that it is no true Christian compassion. And furthermore, it is a sign that affections are not of the right sort if persons seem to be much affected with the bad qualities of their fellow Christians as the coldness and lifelessness of other saints, but are in no proportion affected with their own defects and corruptions. A true Christian may be affected with the coldness and unsavouriness of other saints, and may mourn much over it. But at the same time, he is not so apt to be affected with the badness of anybody's heart as his own. This is most in his view. This he is most quick-sighted to discern. This he sees most of the aggravations of, and is most ready to lament. And a less degree of virtue will bring him to pity himself, and be concerned at his own calamities, than rightly to be affected with others' calamities. And if men have not attained to the less, we may determine they never attained to the greater. And here, by the way, I would observe that it may be laid down as a general rule that if persons pretend that they come to high attainments in religion, but have never yet arrived to the less attainments, it is a sign of a vain pretense, as if persons pretend that they have got beyond mere morality to live a spiritual and divine life, but really have not come to be so much as moral persons, or pretend to be greatly affected with the wickedness of their hearts, and are not affected with the palpable violations of God's commands in their practice, which is a less attainment, or if they pretend to be brought to be even willing to be damned for the glory of God, but have no forwardness to suffer a little in their estates and names and worldly convenience for the sake of their duty, or pretend that they are not afraid to venture their souls upon Christ and commit their all to God, trusting in his bare word and the faithfulness of his promises for their eternal welfare, but at the same time have not confidence enough in God to dare to trust him with a little of their estates, bestowed to pious and charitable uses. I say, when it is thus with persons, their pretenses are manifestly vain. He that is in a journey, and imagines he has got far beyond such a place in his road, and never yet came to it, must be mistaken, and he has not yet arrived to the top of the hill, that never yet got halfway thither. This is by the way. The same that has been observed of the affection of love is also to be observed of other religious affections. Those that are true extend in some proportion to the various things that are their due and proper objects, but when they are false, they are commonly strangely disproportionate. So it is with religious desires and longings. These in the saints are to those things that are spiritual and excellent in general, and that in some proportion to their excellency importance or necessity, or their near concern in them. But in false longing it is often far otherwise. They will strangely run with an impatient vehemence after something of less importance when other things of greater importance are neglected. Thus, for instance, some persons from time to time are attended with a vehement inclination and unaccountably violent pressure to declare to others what they experience and to exhort others 
when there is, at the same time, no inclination, in any measure equal to it, to other things that true Christianity has as great, yea, a greater tendency to, as the pouring out the soul before God in secret, earnest prayer and praise to Him, and more conformity to Him, and living more to His glory, etc. We read in Scripture of groanings that cannot be uttered, and soul-breakings for the longing it hath, and longings, thirstings, and pantings, much more frequently to these latter things than the former. And so, as to hatred and zeal, when these are from right principles, they are against sin in general, in some proportion to the degree of sinfulness. Psalm 119, verse 104, I hate every false way. So, verse 128, but a false hatred and zeal against sin is against some particular sin only. Thus, some seem to be very zealous against profaneness and pride in apparel, who themselves are notorious for covetousness, closeness, and, it may be, backbiting, envy towards superiors, turbulency of spirit towards rulers, and rooted ill-will to them that have injured them. False zeal is against the sins of others, while men have no zeal against their own sins. But he that has true zeal exercises it chiefly against his own sins, though he shows also a proper zeal against prevailing and dangerous iniquity in others. And some pretend to have a great abhorrence of their own sins of heart, and cry out much of their inward corruption, and yet make light of sins in practice, and seem to commit them without much restraint or remorse, though these imply sin both in heart and life. As there is a much greater disproportion in the exercises of false affections than of true, as to different objects, so there is also as to different times. For although true Christians are not always alike, yea, there is a very great difference at different times, and the best have reason to be greatly ashamed of their unsteadiness, yet there is in no wise that instability and inconstancy in the hearts of those who are true virgins, that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth, which is in false-hearted professors. The righteous man is truly said to be one whose heart is fixed, trusting in God, Psalm 112, verse 7, and to have his heart established with grace, Hebrews 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, and to hold on his way, Job chapter 17, verse 9. The righteous shall hold on his way, and he that hath clean hands shall wax stronger and stronger. It is spoken of as a note of the hypocrisy of the Jewish church, that they were as a swift dromedary traversing her ways. If therefore persons are religious only by fits and starts, if they now and then seem to be raised up to the clouds in their affections, and then suddenly fall down again, lose all, and become quite careless and carnal, and this is their manner of carrying on religion, if they appear greatly moved and mightily engaged in religion, only in extraordinary seasons, in the time of a remarkable outpouring of the Spirit, or other uncommon dispensation of providence, or upon the real or supposed receipt of some great mercy, when they have received some extraordinary temporal mercy, or suppose that they are newly converted, or have lately had what they call a great discovery, but quickly return to such a frame, that their hearts are chiefly upon other things, and the prevailing bent of their hearts and stream of their affections is ordinarily towards the things of this world, when they are like the children of Israel in the wilderness, 
who had their affections highly raised by what God had done for them at the Red Sea, and sang his praise, and soon fell a-lusting after the flesh-pots of Egypt. But then again, when they came to Mount Sinai and saw the great manifestations God made of himself there, seemed to be greatly engaged again, and mightily forward to enter into covenant with God, saying, Oh, all that the Lord hath spoken will we do, and be obedient, but then quickly made them a golden calf. I say, when it is thus with persons, it is a sign of the unsoundness of their affections. They are like the waters in the time of a shower of rain, which during the shower, and a little after, run like a brook, and flow abundantly, but are presently quite dry, and when another shower comes, then they will flow again. Whereas a true saint is like a stream from a living spring, which, though it may be greatly increased by a shower of rain and diminished in time of drought, yet constantly runs. John chapter 4 verse 14 The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up, etc. Or like a tree planted by such a stream, that has a constant supply at the root, and is always green, even in time of the greatest drought. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Many hypocrites are like comets, that appear for a while with a mighty blaze, but are very unsteady and irregular in their motion, and are therefore called wandering stars. Jude 13. And their blaze soon disappears, and they appear but once in a great while. But the true saints are like the fixed stars, which, though they rise and set, and are often clouded, yet are steadfast in their orb, and may truly be said to shine with a constant light. Hypocritical affections are like a violent motion, like that of the air that is moved with winds, Jude 12, but gracious affections are more a natural motion, like the stream of a river, which, though it has many turns hither and thither, and may meet with obstacles, and runs more freely and swiftly in some places than others, yet in the general, with a steady and constant course, tends the same way until it gets to the ocean. And as there is a strange unevenness and disproportion in false affections at different times, so there often is in different places. Some are greatly affected from time to time when in company, but have nothing that bears any manner of proportion to it in secret, in close meditations, secret prayer, and conversing with God when alone, and separated from all the world. A true Christian doubtless delights in religious fellowship and Christian conversation, and finds much to affect his heart in it, but he also delights at times to retire from all mankind, to converse with God in solitary places. And this also has its peculiar advantages for fixing his heart and engaging its affections. True religion disposes persons to be much alone in solitary places for holy meditation and prayer. So it wrought in Isaac, Genesis, chapter 24, verse 63, and which is much more, so it wrought in Jesus Christ. 
How often do we read of his retiring into mountains and solitary places for holy converse with his father? It is difficult to conceal great affections, but yet gracious affections are of a much more silent and secret nature than those that are counterfeit. So it is with the gracious sorrow of the saints. So it is with their sorrow for their own sins. Thus the future gracious morning of true penitence at the beginning of the latter-day glory is represented as being so secret as to be hidden from the companions of their bosom. Zechariah chapter 12, verses 12, 13, and 14. And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart, and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. So it is with their sorrow for the sins of others. The saints' pains and travailing for the souls of sinners are chiefly in secret places. Jeremiah chapter 13 verse 17 If ye will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride, and mine eye shall weep sore and run with tears, because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. So it is with gracious joys, they are hidden manner in this respect as well as others. Revelation chapter 2 verse 17 the psalmist seems to speak of his sweetest comforts as those that were to be had in secret. Psalm 63 verses 5 and 6 My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips, when I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches. Christ calls forth his spouse away from the world into retired places, that he may give her his sweetest love. Canticles, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field, let us lodge in the villages. Here I will give thee my loves. The most eminent divine favours that the saints obtained, that we read of in Scripture, were in their retirement. The principal manifestations that God made of himself and his covenant mercy to Abraham were when he was alone apart from his numerous family, as anyone will judge that carefully reads his history. Isaac received that special gift of God to him, Rebekah, who was so great a comfort to him, and by whom he obtained the promised seed, walking alone, meditating in the field. Jacob was retired for secret prayer when Christ came to him, and he wrestled with him and obtained the blessing. God revealed himself to Moses in the bush, when he was in a solitary place in the desert, in Mount Horeb, Exodus chapter 3 at the beginning, and afterwards, when God showed him his glory, and he was admitted to the highest degree of communion with God that ever he enjoyed, he was alone in the same mountain, and continued there forty days and forty nights, and then came down with his face a-shining. God came to those great prophets Elijah and Elisha, and conversed freely with them, chiefly in their retirement. Elijah conversed alone with God at Mount Sinai, as Moses did, and when Jesus Christ had his greatest prelibation of his future glory, when he was transfigured, it was not when he was with the multitude or with the twelve disciples, but retired into a solitary place, in a mountain with only three select disciples, charging then 
that they should tell no man until he was risen from the dead. When the angel Gabriel came to the Blessed Virgin, and when the Holy Ghost came upon her, and the power of the Highest overshadowed her, she seems to have been alone, and to be in this matter, hid from the world. Her nearest and dearest earthly friend, Joseph, that had betrothed her, though a just man, knew nothing of the matter. And she, that first partook of the joy of Christ's resurrection, was alone with Christ at the sepulchre. John chapter 20 And when the beloved disciple was favoured with those wonderful visions of Christ and his future dispensations towards the church and the world, he was alone in the Isle of Patmos. Not but that we have also instances of great privileges that the saints have received when with others, or that there is not much in Christian conversation and social and public worship tending greatly to refresh and rejoice the hearts of the saints. But this is all that I aim at by what has been said, to show that it is the nature of true grace, that however it loves Christian society in its place, yet it in a peculiar manner delights in retirement and secret converse with God. So that if persons appear greatly engaged in social religion, and but little in the religion of the closet, and are often highly affected when with others, and but little moved when they have none but God and Christ to converse with, looks very darkly upon their religion. End of section 17 of part 3 Recording by Matthew James Gray, mjgray.id.au